No, I, I feel sorry for um for TV networks like like BT and like um ESPN down here. There's so much crap for the coverage when it's like it's actually really expensive. Like the NBA is really expensive to buy. That's why there's been so many issues in the in the UK yeah. and it not being able to and like in the um because like the cost per viewership that that the NBA that the NBA gets it's not very good. It's it's if you look at it that sort of thing cost per view, it's actually the the most expensive thing in the world for like a, a network to buy like in that sort of metric it's more expensive than the premier league would be for sky sports and, and more expensive than like um yeah like the f1 or anything like that it's it's like super expensive in cost per viewership and um they just get so much crap for not showing absolutely everything hi it's peter Vesey. you're listening to double clutch podcast don't believe anything these guys say maybe it's a uh, english American thing. It was not an English American thing. In London is NBA. In Africa is NBA. In China is NBA. In For real, the NBA, the Nationwide Basketball National Basketball Association. I'm not gonna tell you again. Okay? National Basketball Association. Okay? Thank you. In your opinion. So it's a fact. You have a growing fan base who, of basketball fans and, and an enormously passionate sports culture here in Britain as well. How much passion is there really for the NBA over here? It has a huge global following, right? right. Or at least it's done pretty well in China, but it's struggled to make an impact in the UK. You sound skeptical. <laughs> um, but you see, because we're soccer fans, I right. shouldn't say that. I'll get smacked for saying that. Football fans here. We, we call it football. Okay. But, um, I mean, springs? It doesn't have any springs in it. Why does it bounce them? It's air. There's air in the ball. Well, there's air in the swimmer. How come the swimmer ain't bouncing? Yo, man, don't play a hate, yo. It's because I was from the UK. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Double Clutch Podcast, giving you the best coverage of the NBA in the UK. I am Matthew Wellington, your host, and I'm uh, actually by myself today, but I am joined by... Um, a special guest. He's been on quite a few times before. So if you're new to the show, just going to introduce him for you. Um, his name's Tom Reed. He runs the Believe the Hype NBA podcast with, uh, Benjamin Cadane. That's one of Australia's best NBA podcasts. They've been a huge help to us over the past two years. And, you know, we've done things for each other and helped each other out. So Tom's on today. Good to be on. Um, yeah, it's, it's all, uh, thanks very much, Matt. It's great to be on the UK's number one Game of Thrones podcast, probably. <laughs> Yeah, the number one Game of Thrones podcast that includes singing. Yeah, that, that was that was a that was a real mind game right there that was played by our good old Batesy last week. Yeah, I don't really know what's going on there, but I know you're not the biggest Game of Thrones fan, are you? So should we get this out of the way quickly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think not the biggest Game of Thrones fan is probably the nicest way to put it. I prefer to describe <laughs> it as I hate Game of Thrones. I think that's that's the that's the the best way to put it. Um, no, I don't have anything against people that like Game of Thrones. I, I just don't I just don't see what's so what's so good about it. I just I just don't get it. Yeah, it, it's an odd one. Like I I watched I've watched all the seasons obviously, and I enjoy it, but I don't get the hype that Bates has put around it, and that now Frankie and stuff are now getting onto it as well. It's just it's just a television series. Like it's not as special as The Sopranos or The Wire or. You know any of the the classic television series that have come out over the past decade, but I don't know. I think it's because they keep killing people. It just annoys me. It's like you can't get attached to anyone in that show. <laughs> it's, to me, it's just I just don't get fantasy. Like I'm I'm not a not a fan of like stuff that isn't could be reality. So like that's why I just don't get Game of Thrones. I mean, I'm not a fan of Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Star Trek. Like I just don't get any of them. And and I mean, I don't have anything against people that do like them. It's just it's just not for me. <laughs> you won't be singing any songs then. No, I won't. But except Harry Potter, like Harry Potter is the ball. That's, 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 every, everyone can have one fantasy style sort of wizardry thing, and then that's mine. Harry Potter. Oh well, you heard it here first, people. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be covering all of the game twos, which took place between Monday and Wednesday night. Obviously, we gave you the coverage of all of the game ones over the weekend on Monday's show. Unfortunately, Bates can't join us today. He has got work. He was set to join us, and Frankie's at uni and. And he's over in New Orleans uh, watching the playoffs, so I'm sure he's having loads of fun. Probably asleep right now, because it is quite early in the morning over no, here in the it's UK. New, but... It's New Orleans, I guarantee you, he's not sleeping. I was I was in New Orleans a couple of months <laughs> ago, and it is the hardest city in the world to sleep in. So he's probably walking around drinking then? Yeah, he's pro- probably doing that, if he's alive. No, he's, <laughs> he's alive, take that out. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start first with the uh, the first game, which I believe was on the Monday night. We had the Memphis Grizzlies at the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
And um, this one actually went to overtime. The Grizzlies won it in the end, 111 to 105. Yeah, some miraculous plays in this game by uh, the likes of Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Um, in particular, the four-point play in the corner. I thought that was incredible. Um, <laughs> Wasn't that just the most athletic, the best move that you've seen in like... I don't know. I can't remember the last time I saw something that was that skillful, that hard to do by anyone. Like it was, it was amazing. It was such a such an incredible shot, and it went down. It was so clutch as well towards the end of the fourth there, and and it just seemed like at the end of the fourth that I mean, no one could miss. I mean, Mike Mike Miller was putting up big shots. Yeah. Russell Westbrook was making great plays. Durant did that, and then I mean, Kendrick Perkins tipped to to sort of bring it, bring them back in the game, put it into overtime. You know, that was a uh, um I mean, before before that he'd only made eighteen tips all season. That was the best bit was when Perk put that tip in because they, the commentators were saying, you know, I don't know why Scott Brooks is putting him in. Like, this is the worst possible person you could put in. And then he went and scored and he was like, okay, I should have said that. It was, it was quite amusing, but it was a phenomenal game. And the last sort of 10 minutes of it was just mental. It, it came on over here. It was really odd actually because BT Sports scheduled the Clippers and the Warriors game. And obviously that tipped off the same, that tipped off. And then because our feed went straight to it, we actually had the last like five minutes of regulation from this Grizzlies game. And then we had the overtime as well. So we actually got to catch the best bits of this game, which I thought was pretty cool. But um, the, the Kevin Durant play was just sensational. There's loads of I- images on the internet of people who have photoshopped and cut out Kevin Durant and just put Michael Jordan in place from a similar <laughs> shot that he's made. And it looks like, you know, it, it could have been the same player. It's just, it's mental. And the reaction from the crowd and everything, because I think they were kind of out of the game at that point. They had a pretty big deficit to make up in the final seconds. And, you know, a four-point play is massive for any team. But a stunning performance from the Grizzlies, really. I mean, they admitted that they ran out of gas in game one. And I think we we saw that in the fourth quarter. But um, they had enough in the tank on Monday night. And they just went all the way through overtime. They powered to us. They had a six, uh, six-zero lead to start off over time. And that was it. The, the Thunder just couldn't get back in the game. Um, but obviously they did rally during the regulation. They came back to uh, get in the game with that three and a tip that you just mentioned. But for me, I think the Thunder offense got a little bit sticky. I don't think the ball movement was as good as it was in game one. And the bench in particular didn't really show up in the first half. It kind of was a bit lackluster. Yeah, and and, and that's a problem that, that the Thunder have dealt with all season. I mean, the, the, their bench has overperformed when you look at the guys that they've got throughout parts of the season. But they are a very on-again, off-again unit. And, I mean, Karan Butler didn't have the best game. And he's... Uh, Derek Fisher had had an okay game. But, I mean, Reggie Jackson was the big disappointment off the bench in this game. And, I mean, I expect to see him bounce back in, in Game 3 over in Memphis. But, I mean, one of the... Uh, like you said, with the, the Thunder offense looking stagnant. And uh, that's... I mean, the, the, the Thunder offense at times throughout this game did look really bad. But you've got to give a lot of credit as well to that, to Tony Allen and, and how he got, guarded Kevin Durant. I mean, Kevin Durant throughout the series is shooting 36% when he, when he's guarded by by Tony Allen and and 56% when when any other grizzly is guarding him on the floor. So a lot of the credit has to go to to Tony Allen as being the guy who can not necessarily stop Kevin Durant but the guy that can slow down Kevin Durant and sort of take him out of the take his importance out of the game just a tiny bit because I mean it, it, it's hard to find guys who can defend him right now in the league as well as Tony Allen's been doing in this series. Yeah, you're right about the Tony Allen thing because they they were splitting him up as well. He spent some time guarding Durant and then other times guarding Westbrook. And when he was doing that, like especially on Durant, he was he was pushing him off his spots quite a lot and making his catches like pretty difficult. So he didn't have a chance to set himself. And I think we saw that on some of the plays that he was making. It, it didn't look like a Kevin Durant type of game, especially in the fourth quarter when he was kind of throwing up some some silly shots at some points. But there's an interesting stat from the game, which, which is Russell Westbrook obviously ended up with 29 points. He took 28 shots to get there. Um, Durant also took 28 shots. So, I mean, I'm going to ask you now, who, who do you think should shoot more out of these two? Should it be Durant or Westbrook? I mean, can they split the load like this or are they, is one of them just going to have to become the alpha dog? Well, it's, it's not necessarily, you know, who, who should take more shots. It's, I mean, the, what I, what I feel with the, the Thunder offense and, and what's worked for them in the past. I mean, if you, if you take away the, the period from when Kevin Durant was, was injured and then he had to go into um, complete alpha dog mode. The Thunder offense is at its absolute best when Russell Westbrook is the go-to guy on the offense. He's able to to um, you know dr- drive the lane, split the floor, and and sort of make make life a lot easier for Kevin Durant. He 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 draws he draws a lot more attention from the defense, able to able to dish it out. And, and when in situations when Kevin Durant might be double teamed, he becomes single teamed, and it just makes life that little bit easier for Kevin Durant when when Russell Westbrook is in that um you know that that Russ mode that that a lot of people absolutely you know really 
get into him for, but that that's when the Thunder yeah. are the absolute most dangerous. So, I mean, it doesn't matter at the end who gets the most shot, uh, shots out of those two. It's if that's working well, then that's when, when the Thunder are, are offensively at their absolute peak and are, are able to, to really dominate games. But obviously, the, the Grizzlies did actually win the game, and th- I thought their performance compared to the first game was, was incredible, really. The turnaround was was there and it was needed. They scored 56 points in the paint, so they, they dominated um, that that side of the game. And Zebo was uh, had 25 points. He was 10 for two on his shooting. And I just thought him and Mark Gasol looked like they, you know, they were out to to, to make a statement in this one. And this is going to be a really interesting series because I think the Grizzlies can take a lot out of the Thunder, and I think it's going to go back and forth. It's just going to come down to some miracle plays like the, uh, you know, like the Durant three and the the tip from Perkins. To, to win this series, I think. I don't think it's as uh, as one-sided as people thought it was going into it. Yeah, and, and I mean, the got to give a lot of credit to the Grizzlies. They they started off the season really really bad when um when Marcus Sol was out injured, and then they won gone thirty three and thirteen since he came back into the side, which is uh the, the best record, <laughs> which is uh, the the best record in the Western Conference over that time period. And uh, a lot of that credit obviously has to go to Marcus Sol, and not not only with with what what he does on the defensive end, but on the offensive end, both as a scorer and as a facilitator, he's one of the most talented um offensive big men in the game. Um, right there with 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 Joker, uh with Joker Noah, arguably. Uh, more more talented offensive guy than than Noah because he does have that post game down pat as well and you, yeah and um and did you know going into going uh, I think it was December about mid December um it, when ESPN have their their playoff predictor where where they give a percentage of a chance of a team that has to make in the playoffs yeah. the Memphis Grizzlies were 03 percent chance to make it to the playoffs <laughs> not only did they make it to the playoffs but now they've 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 taken a game off off the the number two seed and I mean they're they're probably one of the toughest number seven seeds that you'll ever come against in an NBA playoffs, and I mean because they're they're playing like a like a top four seeded team, and I mean this this these are two franchises that have a lot of history, a lot of recent history against each other in the playoffs. I mean they've both taken series off each other last year. Um, I mean the, the Thunder will be going into this series sort of you no know, a, a, a bit disappointed about what happened last year, and obviously uh, Russell Westbrook was out, and, and and the Grizzlies are going into it with confidence, knowing that they they can take care of this unit if they stick to their game. Yeah, I think what you mentioned about last year's series and the series before, obviously they were without Westbrook last year, so that kind of made a bit of a difference for them. But I think this is going to go six or seven games. I mean, I, I, it's going to take, they're going to have to steal home court from each other. And obviously the Grizzlies have done that. Going back to the grindhouse is not a thing that I think the Thunder are going to be looking forward to do because the, the Grizzlies have won like 13 straight there or something ridiculous. So they're going to be a formidable force. And they're always one of these teams that come playoff time. They're just ready to play this sort of grit and grind kind of basketball. And defensively, they're, they're just phenomenal. I mean, Tony Allen just doesn't seem to be getting any older. Marcus Gasol and Zebo just come out of their, their shell, really, when it gets to the playoffs. And even someone like Tishon Prince and, you know, Mike Conley's so underrated. We say it all the time, but his performances have been phenomenal. The way he runs the team just sort of sets the offense. They haven't really got a sort of a, a set score on this team, especially especially from, like, shooting the three. They've got nobody who can really help stretch the floor for them. So the way that they, they play offense is, is really good and something that I think someone like the Bulls should probably be taking note of right now because, you know, they're struggling so much to, to, to score the ball. And these two, I see them as very similar teams. They're both sort of built on a defense first. Yeah, and, and you're right. You're right about Conley. He really is the the unheralded hero of this team. And and, and I mean, I, I feel that he, if if I had a vote, I've, I'd I'd put him down as All NBA third team this year because he's just he's done so well. Not only on the offensive end. I mean, you look at this game. He had uh, 19 and 12. Yeah. Um, but on the defensive on the on the defensive end as well. Like he's 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 one of probably the top five to seven uh, defensive point guards in the NBA. And, and the job he does night in, night out on, on guys like Westbrook in the Western Conference, Dragic, like he's, he, he's able to hold these guys all to, to, to really, like, re- really like low games on, by their standards. He's, he's, he's such an underrated point guard. He's great at getting around, um, getting around screens. There's not too much that he can't do out there on the defensive end. I think the Grizzlies just need to, like, you know, come, come to the regular season next year. I think they just need to stay healthy they're like they're kind of like Washington in that respect I mean Washington managed to stay healthy for most of this year apart from having Nene out but they went and performed the way everyone kind of thought they'd perform if they could keep it all together and if the Grizzlies can stay healthy they're one of the top teams in the uh, the Western Conference by far but we'll move on to the next game because we don't really want to hang too long on some of these uh, some of these earlier games we've got the Golden State Warriors they took on the Los Angeles Clippers in the Staples Center and this was a blowout I mean after the game one upset 
the Clippers went out and won this 138 to 98. This was on BT Sport, so you you may have catched it. And just just an incredible game from the Clippers. Really, they took control of the game so early on that it just seemed that the Warriors didn't really stand much of a chance. It's the largest margin of victory in Clippers playoff history, which is isn't really surprising considering the amount of times they've been in the playoffs. But in all in all six playoff and, games they've had. Yeah, all six playoff games they've had. <laughs> an incredible performance from Blake Griffin after getting in foul trouble the other night. Yeah, I mean, this is a game that's not really worth harping on uh, with the fact that, yeah, it was a, a 30-point... No, 40... Yeah, 40-point blowout win for, for the Clippers. Um, sorry about my maths there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, this is this is just classic Clippers basketball. They, they controlled the tempo. They were, they were great on the defensive end. They were able to... Their, their offense was clicking. I mean, they were, they were back to shooting you know, 48% from three. And, and if this Clippers team is going to be that hot from three, you're just not going to be able to touch them. And then and Blake, Blake Griffin was good as well, playing, playing both inside. His mid-range game was back to um, back to what we've seen from him this year. And um, I mean, Chris Paul just controlled the game so well. He didn't he didn't he didn't have he didn't even it was he didn't even have to do too much on the offensive end as, as well to be able because he just had so many guys that were just able to to hit their shots. It was one of those games where the Clippers were just on, and when the Clippers are on, there's not a single team in the NBA that can stop them. Yeah, Griffin went 13 for 17 from the field, and his perimeter shooting was pretty much perfect for the whole game. He went to the free throw line 10 times and converted nine of them, so he was just just having one. Um, this is the second straight lukewarm game for Stephen Curry. He, he did not look great, and the, the the Warriors, I think, have got to worry because I mean, I'm going to talk about Mark Jackson for a little bit because Clay Thompson picked up three fouls by halftime, and I think Iguodala had four, and he can't, he kept them in the game. Like they had two fouls in the first. Uh, the first quarter, I think Clay had two coming up to the first, and I think Iggy had three. And he didn't take them out. He just sort of left them in the game. I mean, is that poor coaching or is that just, you know, trusting in his players not to get themselves in trouble? Well, when you when you're down by as much as they were down, I mean, it's it, it's almost a situation that you have to do. And I mean, if you look at, um, yes, yes, you can say it was a right decision or a wrong decision. I mean, um, but if you look between those two guys after that, they only got one foul between them, which was by Clay Thompson. So it's not like it yeah. it had an effect. Um, you know, maybe if it did, then we'd be we'd be you know speaking speaking like it's something else about it, but. I mean, with how good those guys are on the defensive end and the defensive job that, that Clay Thompson did in in Game One on 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 Chris Paul and and Andre Iguodala being you know, one of the one of the probably the best perimeter defender in the league, like, you got to leave those guys in when when these guys are hot. And um, yeah, when the Clippers are shooting forty eight percent from three, those are the two guys that you definitely need to have in the game uh, because I mean the, the rest the rest of their bench. I mean they're, they're a great defensive team, the Warriors, but. But you know they're 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 the go-to perimeter defender guys on this on this squad, um, along with I mean Draymond Dray- Dray- Green as well, who can who can defend both inside and out. But and and plus they also needed they also needed Clay on as well to try and you know, curb the their lack of three-point shooting. I mean they, they shot 21% themselves from three in the game, and I mean yeah. Clay only took two attempts, and so I reckon Mark Jackson might have thought that he was probably going to be able to get a bit more out of there. But it was just a just everything went wrong for the Golden State Warriors, and, and it really highlights that they really do need Andrew Bogut. He is he is he is one of their one of their two go to defenders and and people underrate how important he's in 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 this offense. I mean he doesn't um obviously doesn't really show up on the box score in terms of, of points and, and assists, but he's he's really integral to to setting high screens for, for for Curry and and um and really helping helping box out down low. He's he's a really integral part of the of this offense. Um and when he's not there, you're like when games like this, when 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 the shot's not on, and and it's rare that you see both like both Steph and David Lee have quiet games on the offensive, and it's normally one or the other that, that, that that'll yeah. that'll explode. If Curry if Curry's struggling, like he shot one for seven from three in this, uh, nine from seventeen from the field, he could couldn't couldn't really get it. Nine from seventeen, it's all right from the field, but he just he just didn't have any rhythm in that. You normally then see David Lee step up and go for a, a twenty five to thirty point game, but it just didn't happen with either of them, and it, and it just highlights a lot of the the Warriors problems on the offensive end that they have. Because they are, a, they're a team that lives or dies by ISO, lives or dies by the threes, and and they they also have some really intricate offensive sets that that are almost too smart for the team to, to be able to execute. You know, they need to be able to look in, look into doing things like like one in one in four out, you know, playing uh, a lot more pick and rolls from the high post. But I mean, it's just it's just not. They they just don't get it on the offensive end. That's why I mean, I was surprised they took game one. I thought this was actually going to be a four nil to the Clippers, but. Um, <laughs> Uh, which obviously isn't going to happen, but I mean, they've got a. They might be going back to to Oakland, but it's going to be a, a struggle for them when they're there as well because they they're just coming up against a far superior team. Yeah, and a far superior team with a with a pretty outstanding bench. I mean, there's some notable talents on their bench, and during I think it was the second quarter of this game the other night, 
um, the, the well, the Warriors put their starters on against what was effectively the bench for the, uh, the Clippers. Danny Granger was out there, Turkley was out there, Davis was out there, Crawford and Collison were, were the lineup for the the Clippers. And during that period, they expanded the lead from 11 points to 20. So, you know, Doc Rivers trusting his bench, coming on, extending the lead, and effectively shutting up the game quite early on. And when you've got the likes of those those players that I mentioned coming off the bench. I just think the Clippers are such a formidable unit in the Western Conference. I mean, I know Frankie's been been harping on on Twitter about he thinks they could get to the finals, but you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, but I, they think, have, I think they could, I agree with him. I think they could get. Yeah, to they've finals. got they've got a yeah. lot of they've got a lot of depth, and their starting lineup is just phenomenal. And when Blake Griffin plays like he played the other night, I mean, he didn't get in foul trouble either. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when they end up going to the Oracle Arena because you know that place is. It's a great home court advantage, but I don't think the Clippers really will give much of a damn. <laughs> and so. the difference between the Clippers this year and, and over the last few years as well, I mean, because they've had a great regular season team and they've had deep benches and they've, they've been able to, to, you know, run off these really good regular season records and then come to the playoffs and stumble. But the, the, the difference this year between then is, is, I mean, DeAndre Jordan has improved a lot on the defensive end and, and he, he's been able to, to step up late in games and, and not, not be as much of a burden. Blake Griffin's developed a, a far superior offensive game to what he had before. It's not just about inside. It's about his mid-range game now as well. He can't even go out and, and, and um, shoot from outside as well if he wants, even though it's, it's not really highly recommended. I think that's something that you're probably going to see get into his repertoire this offseason. And, and then Doc Rivers as well. I mean, Doc Rivers is so much better at, at running a team in, in high-pressure, late-game situations than Vinny Del Negro was. And so they, they, that's the three big things that, that, have, that make this Clippers team a lot different from the teams in the past as well. Yeah, well, speaking of coaching, um, we'll move on to the Pacers game because obviously Frank Vogel was under a lot of pressure coming into this one. Uh, the Hawks took the first game of the series, but the Pacers rallied in the second and uh, they won the game 101 to 85 in the end in what was a pretty standout Pacers performance. It wasn't amazing by any means. I mean, they're playing the eighth seed, so I don't really know what anyone should expect, but Atlanta actually led for most of the first half. They had a 59-55 lead early in the third quarter, but George Hill kind of turned up the offensive pressure on Jeff Teague and it went all wrong from there for the for the Hawks, effectively. And uh, yeah, a, a big win for the Pacers, really, because they, they they needed this, didn't they? Yeah, the Pacers definitely needed this. It was a good confidence game for them for for not only to just get a win, but be able to to, to get a double digit win, winning by sixteen points in the end, and also coming from behind in the first half to sort of be able to right the ship mid game, which is something that we haven't really seen yeah. them be able to do throughout this this little run as well. It was sort of if they were down or if they if you know the, the chips were down or adversity was on their side, they they just capitulated. And so it was a it was a I mean it was against a team that won thirty five games throughout the season, but you can still say <laughs> that it was a mature performance by by the Pacers to be able to turn around and and do that. And and I mean Paul, Paul George played really well. Um, uh, nine from sixteen from the field for his twenty-seven points and um and rebounded really well and and he 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 did a good defensive job as well on um on he he went down on Millsap at times you know spent a fair bit of time on Kyle Corver held Corver to a one from four from three and and um yeah it, it just seemed it was just one of those games especially the second half that everything seemed to click for the Pacers. Yeah, I think defensively they kind of stepped it up and I think Frank Vogel made some some good decisions which have well. They might have saved him, saved him from being sacked, but they, they've, he made some nice strategic tweaks for them. Um, Paul George at one point started defending uh, Jeff Teague, and that sort of, you know, changed the game yeah. really. And then it, then they tightened up the rotation, and basically it stopped the Hawks from sort of driving to the bucket, which is what they were doing in the first game. Is they were dry, they were using Teague to sort of split the D, and then kicking it out to Corver and their three point shooters, and that wasn't really happening. Um, Roy Hibbert was, you know, he, he wasn't as effective as he should be. I think he kind of needs to step it up, but it's a massive win for the Pacers after all the pressure they've had recently. And Paul George had one of those games that I said on Monday that he needed to have. In you know, that looked like the sort of game that he he would uh, help to carry the team with. And I think the Pacers are going to be a really odd one because if they get out of this round, then I don't know that this Hawks series seems to be taking a lot out of them. I think if they need to, they need to seal this in the next three games. I think to to have any form of impression on anybody. Because I think if this gets taken six or seven games, then nobody's going to be worried about the Indiana Pacers, especially the Miami Heat. Yeah, and I, I, one, one of the things in this series, uh, in this game, that really didn't help the Pacers was, I mean, the, the, the big difference, that the, the big matchup issue that the Pacers have with the Atlanta Hawks is... um is Roy Hibbert um, and, and Perro Antic, that, that matchup. Yeah. Because, cause, I mean, Perro is a stretch five, and... And he he wasn't hitting his threes in this. He went he went one from five from the field. And and if if he hits some of those those 
those outside shots, uh, a few of them were wide open that he missed. You know, we, we, we'd be talking about a lot closer game and then maybe, maybe something would have, would have given coming, coming in the second half of this. But I mean, the, the Hawks are now coming home. Um, you know, some of their bench guys will, will definitely be able to step up, uh, step up a lot more. I mean, you expect to see more out of the guys like, like Mike Scott, Shelvin Mack, um, when, when they're back at home, that they'll look a little bit deeper. You know, Ant, Antich is, I mean, people say, yeah, he's a rookie, but I mean, he's not really, he's, 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 he's in his thirties and he's a very experienced Euro player. Um, you know, guys like that, you'd expect to, to have a lot better performances once they get back home. Yeah, I think it was quite funny because in the first, um, I think it was the first quarter at one point, Jeff Teague was mouthing off to Paul George mm. and um, he started a bit of a, you know, some banter between the two and they had dialogue throughout the rest of the game and I think Jeff Teague scored like one more basket after that. So kind of caused himself a problem there by getting in a conversation with uh, someone who we were, you know, touted as being an MVP at the start of the season. <laughs> and it's it's weird as well for Teague to get himself in, in one of those sort of sparring matches as well because he's, yeah. he's, he's a pretty quiet, pretty... um. Like keeps to himself a bit, and that, that's an issue that he's had, you know, when he's now he's become like the one of the leaders of, the, of, the, of his team, along with Paul Millsap and Al Horford. When he's around, is the fact that he's not a not a very vocal guy, especially for a point guard, and and so that's something that I, I find very interesting. That, that that Teague, you know, getting a bit of confidence out of game one and, and being in that situation against the pace has actually opened his mouth, and 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 I mean, we saw what happened. It, it definitely turned on them. Yeah. So we'll move on to to the next game that we've got. Um, in front of an 18,900 sellout crowd in the uh, Air Canada Centre, the Toronto Raptors returned to to rally the series, basically. They won the game against the Nets 100-95. to And this was a big, big game for, for the Raptors. I mean, second playoff game, obviously they lost the first one. There was all the hype around them in the first game. And they came out in this one and they didn't look nervous, which I thought was great. DeMar DeRozan scored 17 of his 30 points in the fourth quarter which isn't really what they need, but they rallied in the end and, you know, it, it was a good win for them and I think that, that they're going to have to, going on the road, going to Brooklyn, they're really going to have to kind of step up their game because no matter what anyone says, the Nets kept this close. They were right in this game and, you know, Paul Pierce's, uh, Paul Pierce's, <laughs> uh, Paul Pierce's shots didn't fall this time and it, it was just a, a good win for the Raptors and, you know, kind of unexpected for me really because I thought the Nets were just going to, you know, grind this out and, and win game two and go back and sort of finish this series quite easily. Yeah, this is this was the game that we're that, that I, I was expecting to see from the Raptors um coming coming into this. You know, they they it was always gonna be tough for them in that first playoff game being such a, a young, you know, new unit. A lot of these guys don't have any playoff experience and and coming into coming into their very first playoff game at home for, for guys like DeMar DeRozan, um yeah, guys like Dwayne Aronis, Jonas Valanciunas, um, you know, th- these sort of guys who've never been in the playoffs before, um, and come coming into it in that situation. Whereas, you know, there was so much fanfare around Toronto, you know, they were, they were the biggest thing in the city for, for this whole thing and, and making it feel more like an event than what it actually is as, as a, a seriously important game of basketball. That was a big difference <laughs> between these guys and um, what these guys went through and then Washington, who we'll speak about a bit later, how they started their, it was big as usual for them starting their very first playoff series for some of those young guys on the road and, and you know, going straight being thrown straight into the lines then rather than sort of having this fanfare all around them. And so I think yeah. they learn a lot from that game one loss and, and turn it around. And I mean, Valentinus had a much better game in this, uh, 15 points and 14 rebounds. And, and he, he was, he was really like one of, one of the key guys out there for the Raptors. He, he was, he was such a, such an issue for, um, some of the net smaller defenders on, on the offensive end. And, and then on, on the defensive end, he really clogged the lane well and, and made it really hard for, for, you know, Brooklyn to, to get easy baskets and he for me I was really impressed with his his performance he changed a lot of shots he didn't get any blocks out of the game but oh, I, I really liked what I saw from him and DeRozan DeRozan just had a great game and, and just Toronto in general that fourth quarter that 36 fourth quarter points like, it was it, it was it was a huge finish for them the crowd was going nuts like, there, were, there were shots dropping everywhere it was it was it was a, it was a really cool game to watch on TV yeah they dominated the boards as well they out yeah. they out rebounded the Nets 52 to 30 and I think you've got to really look at some of the impacts of some of the smaller players. I mean, you know, we, we go on about how awful the likes of Landry Fields and stuff are, but he came on, he grabbed four rebounds, had a steal and a block shot, and, you know, little things like that make all the difference. He defended Joe Johnson really well. Yeah, and it was the same for the, the, the Nets, really. I mean, Kirilenko came on. I don't think he played in game one, but he wrecked havoc when he was on the floor. He was... It was all over the Raptors. I mean, he had four points, three rebounds, and he just caused. He looked like you know the old player that we used to see for the Utah Jazz, and it was good to see. But 
He's I don't real, know. I think he, he's a real life. We're, we're, we're talking before about um, you know, Marcus Sol coming back and, and completely changing the fortunes of the yeah. season. Um, it's exact same with Andre Karolinko. As soon as he came into the unit at the start, um, uh, just at the end of December, start of January, that's when they really turned it around as well. He's he's sort of the missing piece for this team. He's the guy that that is the glue piece. Like you don't you don't necessarily you know, see a lot of it on the stat sheet, but but you know what what he's able to to do on the offensive and defensive end for this team, being glue guy. You know it, it it's such an underrated aspect of this of this Nets team, and and for for them to for them to have a successful run, you know that we're going to have to see a lot more of him moving forward. I find it absolutely bonkers that there was something like 42,000 fans outside of the arena, like just cheering on because obviously there's no NHL team at the playoffs this year. So the fact that they've got so much support behind them is just, it must be so daunting for those guys. I mean, is DeMar DeRozan the guy to look out for in this playoffs or is it going to be, you know, John Wall and Bradley Beal? No, John Wall and Bradley Beal are the guys to look out for in this playoffs, believe me. I had a feeling you'd say that. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> no, but, but Demar Derozan definitely. I mean, he's he's had a um he he had a good confidence game in this, and I expect to see a lot more of this from him. And I expect Kyle Lowry to step up a bit more. He was he was pretty quiet throughout parts of this game, and and um I mean th- those those two guys they they're, they're not afraid on the road. They they they're a very confident backcourt. Those two with what they've been able to achieve this year, and that's that, that, that's the scary thing about the Toronto Raptors is everyone wrote them off. They turned they turned this ship around. They ended up getting the third seed, and they've just got this this aura of confidence about them that that you just haven't seen from a lot of these guys throughout their careers. They won in Brooklyn during the regular season yep. as well, so it is not over, folks. Um, moving on to a series that could possibly be over, um, we'll, we'll go to Chicago now. The Bulls lost in overtime to the Washington Wizards, one hundred and one ninety nine. And yeah, crisis point in Chicago right now. Um, they, they can't score the ball. They had a 10 point lead in the, in the fourth quarter, I think it was. And they blew it really. Um, Beal finished the game with a, with a game high 26 points off nine for 20 shooting. Yeah, he also had seven, uh, seven rebounds. And basically the, 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 the ability for, for Bradley Beal and John Wall to penetrate the paint and score at will on the Bulls, it was really noticeable in this game. And, I don't know. I think the Bulls need to really, really be worried at going into Washington because that place is going to be absolutely buzzing for their first playoff series in a long while. Yeah, they, they, they should be worried. I mean, they're coming up against a, a, a better team. Like it's the, I, 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 I actually found it quite interesting coming into this series how many people thought that this was just going to be a walkover for the Bulls. I mean, the Bulls are <laughs> the Bulls are one of the best defensive teams in in in, in the NBA and and. And um, but their offense is just so bad. I mean, they're the 28th best offensive team in the NBA, and, and if you can't score points, you're not going to win games. Like, yeah, people say defense wins championships, but you've got to be able to put the ball through the hoop as well. And <laughs> and the Wizards aren't. A lot of people like forget that the Wizards are actually a really good defensive team as well. I mean, uh, Gortat and Nene down low, and they've got they got some great perimeter defenders in this team as well. They're one of the top four defensive teams in the in the Eastern Conference, and so they they get they they were always going to give the Bulls a lot of trouble with how shaky their offense is anyway. And I mean, you saw Kyle Korver contested mid range like contested long range long twos. It was like their crunch time plays, and it's just it's just really early basketball from the Bulls, and and I mean no lead is safe with this team. I mean even when the Bulls are up by ten, you, know, you still you still thought that the Wizards were definitely in this game because they are just a they're a far superior offensive team, and and than what than what the Bulls are, and you had more confidence in them being able to hit some shots than, than the Bulls, and and it just tells. I mean Chicago shot twenty eight percent from the field in in um in the fourth quarter in overtime, whilst the the Wizards shot forty four percent. I mean. If you if you're going to shoot 28 percent in a playoff game in in crunch time basketball, I mean you're not going to win that game. Yeah, and I thought it was a pretty stunning performance from the Wizards, really, because they yet again they used a late rally to to come from behind and win it. And I think going into Washington, you know, if they get a lead in that game, I don't think they're going to surrender it. I think they're just going to carry on doing what they're doing. And these two games have been really different because in the first game you had Nene. And Gortat absolutely dominating, and then they kind of won them the game in that first one. And then in the second game, Bradley Beal and John Wall did all the extra work, and you had the likes of Trevor Ariza adding in. Andre Miller came on and had great impact, and they look like they're they're ready for for well, possibly a deep playoff run. Because right now, I don't really see anybody stopping Bradley Beal and John Wall because they're just such a lightning quick backcourt, and they score the score the ball at will when they want to. Trevor Ariza, I mean, he's really underrated for what he does. He helps out so, so much on the perimeter for them. And I think they can contest with anybody in the East because the Eastern Conference doesn't have, isn't really known for its, 
dominant front courts. So when you've got, you know, Gortat and Nene in the middle, you're going to be able to beat anybody. And I think if the Bulls can't win this third game, I think the series could be all over for them. Well, that, that's the thing with the Wizards. I mean, don't be surprised if you see them in the Eastern Conference Finals because it, um, if, if and when they get through this series, more than likely they'll be coming up against Indiana. And Indiana have got their issues at the moment. And um, yeah. they're, they're still a matchup issue for the Wizards as well because, I mean, their offense hasn't been firing lately too. And, and with how good the Wizards' defense is, I mean, they'll, they'll have ways of being able to, to force the Wizards, force um, Indiana into, into playing that ice, that, that comfortable ISO that they've fallen, that they've fallen into over the last um, few months that hasn't necessarily been working for them and then be able to, to surprise them on the other end of the floor. But, I mean, the, in, Indiana are, are a far, uh, are the best defensive unit in the NBA right now. So, I mean, it, it is going to be a tougher job for the Wizards. But but still, don't be surprised that if, if they get through that series as well because it, it's a very good, very well-rounded team. And now that it's at full strength with Nene at full strength as well and, and with how, how well their bench has been playing on the road. And, and they're, they're a team that's not afraid to go on the road and win. They had a pretty good road record throughout this season. So... They're definitely becoming a, a surprising force to be reckoned with in this playoffs. Yeah, and we're seeing some magic from the Wizards. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> um, that's why I said, do you, do you Bradley believe in magic? <laughs> that's good. They, the, the Bulls did look lost. I mean, they just could not follow Beal and Wall around. It just looked like they were on a different level with regards to speed. But anyway, we'll move on to a, a team that's full of speed in the Miami Heat. Um, they were at the, they, they weren't at the Bobcats, sorry. The Bobcats were at the Miami Heat. And, uh, this was on BT Sport this morning. I was watching this at 2 a.m. and then I went to bed. <laughs> and I didn't catch the end of it. But, um, from what I gather, the Bobcats lost the game and the Heat won it 101 to 97. Al Jefferson played on despite having a torn plantar fascia in his foot. And, you know, nice even scoring from sort of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, basically. They sort of handled the load and, uh, you know, a comfortable win for Miami, and I think they've won the last eleven series when they've taken a two-nil lead. So, you know, is this all over? Yeah, this is all over, and it's it's such a shame that Al Jefferson's you know dealing with uh, his plantar fasciitis because I mean he looked he looked seriously in trouble out there. He was hobbling throughout the game, and and I mean they they did it they did end up getting themselves back into it. It did become a bit of a game in in the end, and and Michael Kidd Gilchrist had another had another really good performance. I mean he top scored for them with twenty two, hit some big shots down the stretch. Kemba Water Walker hit some great shots as well, and I mean we saw a really good game from from their um from their perimeter guys, but uh no the Miami Heat were just just always going to be able to come over the top in this game and, and they did and they, they controlled the game pretty much from start to finish um, and when I mean they, they had some, some some big outside shots were hit by um, I mean Chris Chris Bosch went four from four from five from, from outside Mario Chalmers two from four but I mean the, the bench performance wasn't that great in this game but I mean, I mean guys like I mean Le- LeBron had 32 points in the end had, had a great game 11 from 17 from the field and 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 it was it was just a, a really you know Solid Miami Heat performance for them, and they were cruising in third gear for most of it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I was talking to you at one point on Twitter, and I was just like, you know, this this game looks over. I think Miami were up by like 25 at that point, and I just thought like, it was all over. So the fact that when I woke up this morning and I saw that it was actually quite this close was was a bit of a shock to me. And I, I, the Bobcats did have a chance to force overtime at the end, but, you know, really, really poor uh, <laughs> final play execution. But MKG, for me, I mean, he, he looked stunning. I mean, he's... he's Defensive game never been questioned, but the fact that he was their leading scorer for the for them is, is big. And I think if he can really sort of develop some sort of an offensive game, he's going to be a real talent for them. And the Bobcats look good; they're coached really well. Um, it's just a shame that Jefferson's got that problem because I think if Jefferson didn't have that problem, this series would be a lot closer. Um, he's had his way against the Miami Heat this year when they've played during the regular season, but yeah, they, he doesn't they, look the same. Yeah, they'd be able to. They'd be able to definitely steal a game if if Al Jefferson was 100 yeah. percent because you know they do have that that matchup issue with um. I mean the the, the Heat and uh, really have have problems with with a with dominant offensive big men and so I mean that would have definitely been you know, something that, that could have that could have you know got the Bobcats a game in this series but but with, with Jefferson playing at about 65 percent you know you you just can't really see that happening. Do you think he's risking himself by playing on? I mean. Obviously, uh, you could probably do some more damage by playing on, couldn't you? Uh, it, I mean, I'm, I'm not a doctor, so it's 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 hard to hard, <laughs> hard to comment on that. But I Dr. mean, Joakim Noah played with his same injury last last year in the playoffs. Um, throughout that, I think it was throughout the Miami series as well. And he looks um, fine. Yeah, and, and and he was fine. But it's like obviously, obviously, he's not playing 100. percent But what would you would you want a 65 percent Al Jefferson or would you want 100 percent Bismack Biombo? Because I know what one I'll take. <laughs> Good point. 
Anyway, moving on to the Dallas Mavericks and the San Antonio Spurs. I don't think Andy's going to be waking up too cheerful in the morning over in uh, New Orleans, but the Spurs lost this one. The Mavericks won this one 113-92. to And the Mavericks had lost 10 in a row in San Antonio before this, but they snapped that streak on Wednesday with a 21-point victory in Game 2. Um, Monte Ellis had 21 points. Sean Marion also had uh, 20 from the bench. And, you know, a, a great performance. Sorry, not from the bench. And they had a great performance from um, just sort of an all-round performance, really. And, uh, yeah, th- th- this series is going to go a long way, I think. I mean, I've been talking about it for the last few weeks. I think these two teams match up really well. And going into Dallas is not going to be easy for the San Antonio Spurs. No, it's not. This is, this, this is an interesting game. It's just sort of like... The um the the Mavericks were just on on pace early and were just able to to really take uh, San Antonio out of the game. They they really like Tony Tony Parker really struggled in picks. They did a really good job defending him um um in in the picks and that that's one of the one of the keys of the San Antonio uh, offense. Their ball movement just really wasn't working. I mean they, they, their shot was dropping, but it just wasn't dropping mm-hmm. that much. And they they um and they just really weren't able to, able to get as many looks as they had. And I mean one of the one of the real keys to the match was 22 turnovers. I mean their their ball movement was just really sloppy, and um and Mavericks were were able to to, to capitalize on that. And um yeah, and I mean, got 17 fast breaks off those 22 fast break points, those 22 turnovers, and it was yeah it was it was just all over San Antonio with their with their own worst nightmare in this game. And I think it was just one of those games that 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 they realized. You know, with not not but throughout some some point in the second half they realise that it probably isn't the game worth fighting for. Yeah, I think that's only the third time this season they've posted that uh, twenty two mm. uh, turnovers. So you know that is not the sort of San Antonio Spurs type basketball we're used to seeing. Um, Manager Nobly hit four for, uh, straight three pointers in a row and went five for five on the night, which did actually help cut the, the Dallas yeah. digit early on, but uh, late on, sorry. But you know once um, Jose Calderon came on and sort of. Uh, started catching fire really that the lead was double digits for the rest of the game and you didn't really see you know another winner and it's it's odd because on the in game one obviously Tim Duncan went out and the the Mavericks took control but then when he came back in the game changed completely so I think this series could go either way there's no real way of knowing who's gonna you know win each game because these two teams just play off against each other so well and obviously you've got that Dallas that Texas rivalry sorry so you know, not a great performance from Tony Parker, like you said, and Tim Duncan only had 11, which is, you know, really rare for him not to crack, you know, above 15 points. Yeah, and um, and and Paddy Mills as well, who's normally their spark off the bench, had had a had a, a re- really <laughs> poor. No, but he he is. He's normally like one of their sparks off the bench, along with Ginobili, who's had a had a had a really great season. He he shot really poorly, one from seven from the field. He took some 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 really no some shots that you just think like, why are you taking that? And then his shot just wasn't mm. dropping as well. And then um, Marco Bellinelli as well didn't get that many looks um, beyond beyond the three point line when he was out there. They weren't really able to find him in in good spaces and. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was literally Ginobili was the only guy out there who was really worth what writing home about. And I mean, at, at full credit to him, he's actually had a, a a pretty good season this year. He's been playing some pretty good consistent basketball when he's been out there. He's been shooting really well, and and we're we're starting to to see the Manu Ginobili that um that we saw that that we've seen throughout part, parts of his career, um, especially late in his career, the real sa- savvy vet. I mean. Hopefully he can he can sustain it because I mean that's gonna be a real key to them if they are going to still be around come June. Yeah, I wasn't laughing when you said Mills, but you just always like to get those Aussies in, so you know I just thought I'd giggle at that. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll also mention. Well, if that's the case, then I'll mention the fact that the reason the reason, <laughs> the, the, reason the San Antonio Spurs lost this game is because Aaron Baines is currently the 14th man and, and isn't suiting up. <laughs> it, it, it's true. They need to get um, replace Jeff Ayers with him because I mean, he's he's clearly the better player because he's got the better accent. Well, there you go. Anyway, moving on to Joel Freeland's Portland Trailblazers. No, in all seriousness, it's not his team. Um, they, they took on the Houston Rockets in Houston and they won this one, 112 to 105. Um, Lamarcus Aldridge just sensational again. Um, he followed his, his his amazing game one performance with 43 points off 18 for 28, and you know. Eight rebounds, three blocks as well to that start. And he was just incredible, really. I mean, Dwight Howard came out early on, was really aggressive from the tip. Looked like Houston were going to sort of, you know, turn this game around and rally the series. I mean, Dwight finished with 32 in the uh, 32 points, 14 rebounds and four blocks at the end, which is the sort of stat line you want to see from he had, him. But... He had 19 points in the first quarter, eight from nine from the field. He, um, he started off this game really hot. Yeah, he just absolutely went off on one. And this is what I've been saying. I mean, the, the Rockets were my sort of pick to win this series, which is annoying because 
obviously Portland are now 2-0 up and I'd been on the Blazers bandwagon all year, but I just <laughs> thought Houston with Howard and, Je- and uh, James Harden and Chandler Parsons and all those guys had too much, you know, to, for Portland to stop really. And it's been the other way around in this series. Um, James Harden's been really, really bad. I mean, this game especially. I mean, he had he had 18 points off six for 19. That's not great for him. He committed five turnovers. It's not great for anyone. That's not great for you. No, <laughs> that's just terrible. And then he fouled out in the final minute. So you know, not not a, not a great way to end it. But um, Lamarcus Aldridge joins Clyde, uh, Clyde Drexler as the only Blazer to score at least 30 points in back to back back to back playoff games. He, you crea- know, he created a new stat: the only just, Blazer to score 40 points in back to back playoff games too. Wow. He's just on a roll right now. He's on an absolute tear. Is he the best power forward in the in the playoffs right now? Right now? Yeah, well, you've got to say he is. He's averaging over <laughs> um, the, the best part about The best part about this um, uh, this, this LaMarca Georgia's performance was there was some, some Houston fan who was trolling him on Twitter uh, after his first game <laughs> performance saying, you're not going to score over 35 points again, and, and then he backs it up you know, uh, 43. And, and that, 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 that's getting retweeted around the internet, something fierce right now. Yeah, Damian Lillard had 18 points and 11 assists that night and eight rebounds, so double-double for him. And just a yep. good all-around performance from the, the Blazers, really great production from their bench. Um, I think Wesley Matthews has been fantastic for the, throughout these first two games. He's a, he's definitely come on as a player over the last few years. But, you know, what's going on in Houston? Is this some sort of meltdown at the moment? I mean, the first game, they kind of lost it because James Harden took a, you know, really kind of messed up the final few plays in overtime. Can they rally back from this? I mean, they've got the talent to do so, haven't they? Surely. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have confidence that, that Houston can can rally back into this and make it a series. I mean, it is tough to go up to Portland to the Rose Garden and and um and and and, and, and win up there. <laughs> oh, no, I, I refuse to call it that. Uh, but I mean, it, it's going to be interesting the next couple of games. I'm actually jealous and a bit of a plug. Um, Jamison Welsh, one of our guys, and um who. Um, works with us over at BelieveTheHypeNBA.com. I'll actually be at that game, covering that game for us. So, so hopefully it's another good game. We can get some good interviews Sweet. out of that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, with, with the Rockets, I mean, their, their main issue in this game was, was that they're a team that lives, lives and dies by the three with, with, with guys like Chandler Parsons, um, James Harden, um, you know, they've, they've got, they've got a really, um, deep three point shooting team and, and just none of them could hit them. I mean, they shot 18, uh, 18% from three and, and with, with, with the team they've got and how they like to play with the, Sort of one in four out at times. You know, if they're not hitting threes, I mean, they're just stuff like this going to happen. And it was amazing that they were really still in the game for most of it with, with with how they were shooting from outside. Yeah, and speaking of the three pointers, I mean, there was a couple of back to back threes from the Portland Trailblazers in the last quarter that sort of sprung the lead to eight, uh, 89, 81. And that was Mo Williams and Doyle White and getting the production they needed. I mean, they've been a good three point shooting team all season. Um, their defense has been the thing that's been questioned. I know Bates has been on here and has said, you know, can they actually win a game with their defense? And they've been getting the, the, the big plays when they need them. Um, Damian Lillard, especially, there was a play towards the end where Lamarcus Aldridge, uh, shot bounced off the rim and Lillard was there, you know, was there grabbing the big offensive rebound and he's just getting in all the right places and he doesn't look like, you know, it doesn't look like this is these, these two guys first playoff series. It looks like they've been, you know, in battles before and, Going back to, you know, the Rose Garden is going to be a big thing for, for the Blazers, I think, because their home court advantage is pretty, uh, pretty formidable. Yeah, yeah, it is. And so that's why it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. I mean, they're both, they're both, they're both pretty suspect defensive teams. So it, it really is, yeah. just, it, the, this is, this is a great series itself because they, it's just two teams that, that can just score the ball. Like they, they, they can hit threes. They've got really athletic, um, they've got really athletic, um, wing players and, and, you know, it's, it's just going to be whoever's. Oh, this is actually going to sound really stupid. It's going to be whoever scores the most points <laughs> is going to win the game, win the series, and uh, <laughs> that's my two cents. Fantastic stuff. <laughs> I think Jay, I think James Harden knows he's he's made mistakes for these past two games, and you know I, I expect a a massive game from him. I mean, I think he's one of those players you can just go off on any night and have sort of forty odd points, you know. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, but um, I, I agree, but also caveat with the fact that this isn't the first time that he's. He's stunk up a playoff series before. I mean, back to the, the finals a couple of years ago, where he was virtually non-existent. So, be Get interesting to see back. what. It'd be interesting <laughs> to see what. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what James Harden comes out for the rest of the series. But I'm with you. I, I think I think we'll definitely see a better James Harden offensive performance throughout this series moving forward. Yeah, right now the Thunder fans are not regretting the trade. <laughs> Just to bring it up for the, uh, they're, the they're, well, they're one all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's six for nineteen is is going to be the difference in that series. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so we've got a couple of Twitter questions just before we leave you. Um, going to go on some now and obviously ask Tom them as well. So we got one from Glyn Brooks at Glyn B8 on Twitter. He put, I didn't know about your podcast, so I'll subscribe. That's awesome. And, um, then he, he added, should the NBA join the conferences and have the playoffs consist of the top 16? Um, I'm, I'm really in two minds about this. I, I don't, I think that the system that they've got now shouldn't be, um, no, there's flaws in it potentially, and you know, if if there is a good system, and then, then yeah, change it because I mean, we would love to see the top 16 teams in the playoffs. But at, at the other flip of it, no, it's there's a lot of history and there's a lot of tradition in how how it's set up now, and so I'd I'd like to see it be more of a hybrid of the two, sort of um, have like say the, the the top six the six teams from each conference go in and then, and then the next four are wild cards um throughout both just so that you can still have like conference champions and division champions and and, and all that all that sort of still is a thing um rather than than completely got getting rid of tradition and, and 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 stuff like that so if there's a way that you can do a hybrid of the two i reckon that'd be a really interesting thing to investigate but i mean I find it funny that this is sort of now becoming, I mean, it, there's always been sort of an underground movement about like, well, it should be top 16 rather than, um, rather than not. But I find it interesting that this is the year that this is getting brought up because you know, I think it's like nine of the last, it's all those Phoenix fans. Yeah, yeah. But it's like nine of the last 12 seasons, the, the, the Eastern, the Western Conference has had, you know, nine or 10 teams, between nine and 11 teams out of the top 16. And, but this is, it, it's not a new phenomenon. It, it, this, this, this issue has been around for a while, and and I, I just find it interesting that it's this season that it's being brought up, not the last yet yeah, like decade worth of seasons. Yeah, I imagine there's a logistics thing and a, a and obviously a money thing here yeah. as well. You, you if you split the conferences like they have at the moment, you get fair enough, you get split revenue across both halves of the country, don't you? So that, that's well, probably another reason that they don't. Well, the, uh, like, they don't go for the top sixteen. Well, there's revenue sharing, so it's not that I don't I don't know if that would come come into it anyway. Um, I don't know how how much that would come into it, but yeah, it's I mean they set this up because you know airline travel and stuff like that wasn't as advanced as it was now. They were all flying commercial, and and now they they're all flying on private jets. But I'd like to see someone come up with a way that that means that it's not too much of a change between what there is now and what there has been in the past, and still able to keep. Yeah. Top and and able to get top sixteen teams in there, but still be able to keep you no know, conference and division champions and, and and all that there as well. So if there's a way way to still measure between the two, then I reckon that that's that's a good way to go forward. I'm with you. I think like the top six is good, and then you have like a wild card between that if you split the best records. So you know instead yeah. of having Atlanta in there right now, or, you'd probably you'd, you'd have Phoenix, for example. Or even even something like potentially, um, if say there is say Phoenix has a playing series or something like that versus um versus Atlanta and uh, maybe yeah. it might be like best of 3 or something like that and they get that over quickly just before the playoff starts to for the final spot more basketball I'm not complaining yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the next one was from Alan Zamat at Zamifo I think that's how you, spe- how you say it um he says the Raptors are an okay team but do they deserve to be in the playoffs ooh that's a bit controversial isn't it yes. he says they're an okay he says they are an okay team they're the third team in the Eastern Conference they won 48 games this year I mean what more justification do you want yeah but they're Canadians yeah <laughs> uh, god those northerners this is America's game no <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's a funny question. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll move on quickly. <laughs> um, Andrew Mitchell at a Mitchell, he put um, which playoff team has the deepest bench, the uh, deepest and best bench this year. Oh, this is this is a this is a difficult one. Um, I think Portland's bench is, is nice, but like I mentioned earlier, I think the Clippers have got it rounded up with what they've got. I mean. Glenn Baby Davis is probably the only sort of weak link I see on that bench. <laughs> yeah, I'd say either the or the, or the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, both both of those both of those teams' benches are, are seriously deep. I mean, you look at look at look at the Clippers' bench and how deep that is with with uh, some some savvy vets, and you look at the the San Antonio bench and and you've got you've got a lot of really experienced um, you know international players on that bench who've who've played played big games in the US, played big games overseas, and and that that bench itself you know can can knock off teams on their own regard when being coached by Pop. You know, those two teams are... They, it'd be one of those two that would be the deepest bench, but um, I'm not prepared right now to to pick between the two of them. Yeah, I think the Nets have got a good bench, but the question is whether it's deep or not. I mean, there's a lot of talent on that Nets team, but, you know, I don't think the best... The, it's the deepest bench. There's just a lot of veteran players on that te- on that bench who can come off and have a big impact. Um, 
the next question was from Matthew Bates, who, you know, should have been here, but he's at work. <laughs> Batesy. Um, he, he put a question from the show. I have no idea what this is about, so this is just going to go to Tom. Um, from Parks and Rec, uh, I guess that's recreational. Um, who would be the best NBA coach? April, Tom, Leslie, Ron, John, or Ralphio? <laughs> John, John Ralphio. John Ralphio? I have yep. no idea. This is just a television series. Uh, I'd love to say John Ralphio for either of them, but he'd probably be the, the worst out of them all to ever be a coach of anything, um, even a life coach. But um, I'd probably say for, for the uh, – and, and then he asked like, either Jazz or – I asked him what team he said, Jazz or Nick. So for the Jazz, I'd say Leslie because you know, Le- Leslie loves her small market uh, small markets, obviously living in Pawnee, Indiana, and um, she's, she's, she's really good at, at, at project managing and being able to get the job done and crossing all the I's and donning all the T's. And with this young Jazz team up and coming as well, it sort of seems like that's what they need right now. So I'd say Leslie for the Jazz. And for the Knicks, I'd go with Ron, Ron Swanson. I mean, Ron Swanson, you know, he, he looks like he's a lazy guy, but but you look at the team that he's pulled around him in that in that parks and recreation team, and and you know he he knows he knows the sort of guys to get around to run a successful team. You know, bringing in someone like a like a Leslie, you know, April's really underrated as well. So I think that he could he could be he could be a really good coach of of of, of the Knicks purely by you know the guys that he will put in around him in the team to to do all the work for him. And also, you know, Ron is the biggest hypocrite in the world. He hates the government, but he works for the government. So he you know. I think he'd, I mean, the Knicks are virtually, you know, run by CAA. And so I could see him hating CAA, but still working for CAA and making it work. I'm just apologizing to anyone who doesn't watch that TV series because none of that would have made any sense whatsoever. I can keep, I can keep going on. <laughs> um, do you want to let everybody know where you can, where, where they can find Believe the Hype? Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for having me back on the show, Matt. It was a uh, great it's to a ch- pleasure, mate. Yeah, great great to chat to you. Always always enjoy coming on. Love the show and uh shout out to Frankie as well. Uh hope you're well, shout mate. Enjoying uni. Yeah, always gotta shout out Frankie when I come on here. Um but <laughs> everyone can find me on Twitter at T R A Reed and um, you know, believe the hype over at believethehypenba.com. We do t- two two or three shows a week. Got some good guests, some good interviews coming up soon. So go over and check out the podcast there and some of the other stuff that we 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 get we get around there and Facebook at, at facebook.com slash believe the hype MBA. Yeah, join the thousands of Facebook likes that they already have. I am sure that I went on there at one point and it was like, you know, a thousand. Then it, the next day I logged on it was like two thousand, three thousand people. So <laughs> Facebook's obviously the way forward these days with social media and stuff, but Twitter's uh, what we tend to use, and we use hashtag NBA in the UK to uh, have a conversation about the playoffs. And there's been loads of people using it recently. It's been really great to see. I mean, I don't know if it's actually been trending at any point during the night because obviously I've been in bed, but yeah, it's just great to see people using that hashtag. It's great to see a, a British guy hitting um, big free throws in the playoffs as well, and Joel Freeland in game Freeland! <laughs> yeah, from supermarkets to the NBA playoffs, it doesn't get much better than that. I was, I was mad. I was making jokes um in that game one that um because William and Kate were out here in Sydney that time that they were oh, yeah. that those two and baby George were huddled around a, an iPhone in the hotel watching um watching <laughs> big big game Joel hitting hitting some clutch free throws. That's what it was. <laughs> I need to Photoshop that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find Believe the Hype on our website as well. We have a friends tab and a guests tab, and Tom's been on several times before, so you can find any of Tom's. Uh, previous shows you can find Benham's previous show which I believe was the Philadelphia 76ers state franchise so go, yeah, it was when I was, yeah so go yeah. back yeah, with three, three, three 76ers fans crying about the, the state of their team <laughs> yeah and Tom was on the Lakers one that we did and that was uh, that was good fun and Brent Field as well on. yeah shout out to Brent no, that, that was like yeah three Lakers fans being like how the hell did we get here what the hell went wrong <laughs> what's going on now are we going to be awful next season I think the answer to that was pretty yeah. obvious um, I think, I think everything that I said should happen did not happen in that episode as well. So don't go back and listen to that, actually. Yeah, don't go back and listen to that. His <laughs> predictions are poor. You can check out the website. It's obviously doubleclutchpodcast.co.uk. We have moved the podcast feed. Um, after, well, a couple of conversations with Tom, I decided to move the podcast from Podomatic to Libsyn. Libsyn is now our new host. All 71 of our shows have been transferred across. Um, did cost a bit of money, but, you know, it's worth it because we were getting kind of ripped off by what Podomatic were doing with their sort of archaic um, podcast hosting ideas. So we're now on Libsyn, which means we should be able to bring you a few more shows without us you know, having to worry about space, which is a good thing. And uh, the Libsyn feed is doubleclutchpodcast.com.libsyn.com. And then if you want the RSS, just add slash RSS to that, and you can subscribe to that via whatever podcatcher you've got on your Android phone or anything. Um, there's a way of doing an app as well, but I've not actually looked into that. I mean, I don't know. Tom, have you got an app on your Libsyn account? 
Uh, yeah, we do. Um, but we don't really pay much attention to it. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I looked into it and it was like, that looks a little bit complicated because you've got to select backgrounds and change yeah. everything. But, you know, if it's worth doing, then we'll do it. But hopefully Libsyn will be good hosts. I mean, their customer service has been fantastic for us so far. If you do subscribe to us on iTunes, you will not need to, um, you know, resubscribe or change anything because we've managed to keep the current podcast page, which means we've kept all of your fantastic 18 reviews that we've got. So yeah, speaking of reviews, keep reviewing us. We like our reviews. Um, Go over and review Believe the Hype as well because, you know, they've got six reviews at the moment, so they've got a bit of catching up to do with us, but they're the best Australian podcast and they have so many great guests on. And I'm not just saying that because Tom's on here now, but oh, they're genuine. I know, don't get all upset. <laughs> um, and go and check that out because they, they do, you know, they've had some fantastic guests like Zach Lowe and Ethan Sherstrass and a bunch of other guys that we uh, cannot possibly give away because, you know, it, it, they get bigger and bigger every week. So, Go and check them out. We are available on uh, Facebook, facebook.com slash Double Clutch Podcast. The Twitter is at Double Clutch UK. And uh, yeah, hopefully you'll enjoy all of the Game 3s that are coming up. I think Frankie and Bates will be bringing you the next show, which should be Saturday morning, but I can't promise anything because obviously Frankie's a student, so he could be pissed at that point. But anyway, um, thanks for coming on again, Tom. No, thank you very much, mate. Really appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. And we will catch you next week, folks. Thank you. Bye-bye. Shout out to Frankie. Give that foul. Memphis has had an answer all night. A quick 6-0 run. Allen got a piece of that one. Almost out of bounds. Somehow Durant lets it go. Oh, oh, Kevin Durant. A chance at four. And Mike Conley Jr. was questioning whether or not Russell Westbrook had gone out of bounds after the deflection there. Didn't look like he had gone out, and now you have to confirm the three-point. Looked like he was behind the line here. Let's see here. Westbrook was not out. Yes, clearly a three. Unbelievable. Are you kidding me?